On Tuesday, we celebrate our national day at Tynmald. But what does it mean to be Manx these days? What makes up our character and identity? And indeed, does Manxness really matter anymore? Also, with the Scottish Government calling for a second referendum on independence, what would an independent Scotland mean for the Isle of Man? And indeed, would the Isle of Man be better off as a fully independent nation? I'm joined on the programme today by marketing expert Dr Simon Collister, poet Simon Madrill and Tynwald members Chris Thomas MHK and Paul Crane MLC. Simon Collister, you're a, a Manxman living living away, but occasionally coming back to the island. Uh, what you, you've you've been uh, posting quite a lot on on Twitter about uh, the the sort of cultural identity of the Isle of Man and why that's quite important. Uh, what what's your interest in this area? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a, a Manx expat, as it were, come back as often as I can, as as, as often as the boats go and the planes fly, which <laughs> which has been a bit challenging this year. Um, but um, I mean, I've always, always been into uh, into kind of the Isle of Man and our culture and our heritage. Um, you know, a, a passionate Manxman, as, as it were. Um, and in my day job, which is kind of uh, branding and advertising, we often talk a lot about identity, brands, place, location, and the importance of of how we project ourselves, I guess. And I know, um, yeah, I, I think I've had a, a bit of an exchange on Twitter with yourself earlier in the year, which has possibly prompted some of these conversations, which was around. It was a reference to a fast show television um, comedy sketch from the 90s, which uh, weekly kind of poked fun at two very unusual um, or a very unusual couple, usually in a caravan, uh, making very bizarre statements and and then kind of following up with we're from the Isle of Man, um, which has kind of persisted. And wherever you go in, certainly in the UK, and you chat to people, that's often a reference point for the island, um, which is annoying to say the least when there's so much more than kind of uh, kind of unusual crude statements um, and it's you know so it's a bit of a bugbear on a personal level but I also was doing some work um, recently writing up some um, some of my own kind of um, personal interests um, in culture and literature um, and looking at, um, at the Isle of Man's presence in in particular the work of James Joyce who um, who this year we see is the, the 100th anniversary of his his novel Ulysses which was has been variously coined as you know the greatest work of literature in the 20th century and uh, the the novel to end all novels kind of thing so it's a hugely important work um and his other work has kind of been deemed to be some of the most kind of avant-garde and kind of powerful work in the kind of western literature canon um and the isle of man is kind of was writ throughout all of his work um and it always struck me as a as a student years and years and years ago that so this was fascinating that kind of one of the most important literary figures in the 20th century has a real kind of strong affinity with the island and everything it stands for. And, and it kind of struck me that you've got kind of popular culture at the moment kind of mocking the island, but you've got kind of, you know, other kind of literary culture. which was kind of like waxing lyrical about the island and all the things it stands for. And it, it was just quite striking, really. And that kind of then formed a kind of a bit of a riff on, on you know, what do we think? the island's identity is what what do we stand for in the minds of people who aren't from the Isle of Man um you know we've got usually if you're from the Isle of Man you're you're usually really passionate about all the things that that, that we have in our history and, and culture um but if you're not from the Isle of Man what does it mean to you um and that kind of got me into a bit of a discussion with various people including Charlie Higson from the Fast Show who <laughs> kind of apologized and said that he didn't really mean to poke fun at the Isle of Man it was just something that had, had, um, had, had amused him at the time and I think it may well have gone back to some of the the more kind of um, more kind of uh, unpleasant, not unpleasant, but kind of 
sad news coverage in the 90s about the, the legislation around homosexuality um, laws on the island. So that might have been kind of part of it. So you can kind of see how all of these kind of cultural references kind of come into, you know, the minds of, of, of the public and kind of and, and popular imagination. And it's, it's just frustrating. You know, you kind of if you, I bet if you went around and asked people in the UK or, or even globally what what they thought of when they when you mention the Isle of Man, they'll probably list TT, uh, cats with no tails and possibly offshore finance or possibly money laundering or something colloquial like that, um, which for me is is not incorrect, but it's there's it's the tip of the iceberg. Right. And arguably, if you want to be renowned and known for certain qualities and have an identity about something, then there are much, 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 much better things to be known about. Well, you've 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 dropped in there two excellent reasons why we should link uh, through to our next uh, guest. Um, I th- Title yourself as the the Manx queer poet uh, Simon Madrill, another exile. But you've come back specially for this show, back to the Isle of Man, and joining us in the studio, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when we're hearing J- James Joyce, what what you know, who who else but Simon Madrill should we should we go to next? <laughs> Thank you. I I am a Manx queer poet rather than the. Um, but um, yeah, no, it was interesting hearing Simon. Um, talk about the fast show because um i've mean, actually written about that that exact subject and you know and i think i think to be fair um you know the the, the very clear reason why that was taken up by the fast show was because of the film that um ian mckellen made about um the the lack of legalization for sex between men on the isle of man and and to be quite to be quite honest I thought they were very kind to the Duggans, far kinder than they are in my poem. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I mean, I do, I do recognise that one of my friends used to quote the fascio every single time he met me. You know, sort of, um, <laughs> um, and uh, and that is sad. And we've got a lot more to celebrate. And you know, if you if you're talking about the the arts, um, the cabinet of curiosity that was launched at the Manx Museum, which is a a great movement forward. Um, but it didn't mention, even though we did in the in the opening, Dursley McLinden, you know, a young Manx actor who um, um, popular culture was featured in a an episode of of Doctor Who, and sadly contracted HIV in the late eighties and and died in nineteen ninety four. But was um, should be celebrated for how much um, energy and time he put in raising funds for for other people with, with HIV and AIDS. And, um, you know, if we're talking about um, celebration of Manx people, that, that, that they are the sort of the people that we should be, we should be recognising as, as great products of the island, however, however nice it may be for, for Joyce to talk about us. And, you know, in many ways, I think T.E. Brown probably, probably earned the right to be, to be considered Manx. But, um, um, yeah, I think I, th- I think the the country would be um, it would be great to be looking to celebrate more um, more of the people of the and, uh, and the figures in the island and and identity and uh, identity politics. Obviously, that can work in, in relation to sexuality. It relates in in terms of culture, uh, also sort of national identity. Um, what, why are these th- sorts of concepts important? Uh, to explore, because obviously, as a poet, that's that's very much your your uh, territory, isn't it? Uh, looking at uh, all all these sort of uh, 
uh, issues and, and just trying to make sense of them, or maybe not, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, I think um, many poets start off at a very personal level in terms of exploring um, perhaps their own traumas or their own experience, but, but then, you know, many of us move on then to explore ideas. Um, and, uh, yeah, that whole idea of, of identity, I mean, I touch on it a lot in my... Um, my first pamphlet, Throat Bone, which, which, you know, and my next pamphlet, which will be coming out next year, um, which is called The Whole Island, um, explores that relationship between the individual as a body, the island as a body, um, you know, the land and the folklore and all of those things. Are, they, they can be all interrelated and they can be a metaphor for, for each other. Um, I mean, in one particular area... Um, that really fascinates me is is the, the not just the history of the island but the identity of the island i mean it's very hard to to it would be very hard to deny that the isle of man is not a colonized country you know going way back to um to the vikings and the irish and as t e. brown said we became that football that was kicked around um and so I don't think anyone can deny that fact. I think the question is, is exploring that um, that idea of whether Manx independence um, or greater autonomy, or if if one wants to follow the the lead of Boris Johnson taking back control, um, <laughs> you know that that fascinates me as well. And if I may, I'll just read a short poem that sort of looked at this is looking at it at quite a a very succinct level, but it's certainly an area that I, I would love to explore more. But it's called um, The Vikings Didn't Need Roads To Plunder and Burn Wooden Vessels Graves Not Tricks A Queer-Shaped Ball Kicked Back and Down and Over Walls Without the Love of Antinous Rich Dukes Envied Stocks and barrels, no sooner grasped than sold, to be owned by George the Third, in seventeen sixty-five. A hanging chalice. Freedom is an oxymoron. Flourishing, is a drag queen, when she owns herself. Excellent, uh, Paul. Paul Crane. Um, how do you how do you follow that? Uh, well, well, one thing I would hope that you would follow that with, uh, I mean, if if you have a poem, we'd love to hear it. But uh, what does Manx does? What does what does Manx identity? What does that actually mean to you as a Manxman? Um, it, it's a very deep pool to fish in, really. Is 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 what I would think about. Um, I don't know. Over the years, I've read so many things. The, the work by. Um, uh, an academic prentice down at Swansea and, and, and uh, on Manx identity and Manxness and so on. Um, I think it's, it, it's uh, something that's forever changing. I think it's uh, something that is um, forever challenged by uh, new things that comes along, by population change and, and so on. Um, but fundamentally, it, it, it has um, so many elements to it, you know, elements of poetry, of music, um, of, uh, of dance, of, of um, uh, images and imagery, of, of history, of, of castles, 
um, a, a whole range of things like that. The language is, is there as part of it too. So it's, it's a very rich, I called it a pool, a tapestry would be another way, way of calling it. Um, but geographically, I guess, the, the um, having done a, a degree back in the 1970s as a geographer, um, the Isle of Man sort of stands out as, as being uh, crucial in terms of understanding the Irish Sea Basin um, quaternary stratigraphy and things like that. It, it's a, um, a fascinating area demographically because of the way that uh, even when I was at school, in, in the data books that we had um, back at uh, St Ninian's as, as youngsters, we could see that there were only two countries in the world that had more deaths than births. One was Eastern Germany and, and the other was the Isle of Man, you know, so it had a sense of of this sort of standing apart and then you pick up on slavery and smuggling and some of the historical things and um, and the perceptions idea you know the way that um, and it was touched on before but by by both Simons the way in which the the fast show portrayed it and you get perceptions of the Isle of Man whether that's about um, uh, some of the aspects of uh, finance and, and um, uh, TT cats with no tail or, or the the question that what's the name of the Parliament of the Isle of Man comes up on every quiz show if you if you watch it for for more than a few weeks I think it's a range of of, of all of those things part of it and for you uh, again as as a Manxman um, not long elected as a member for the Legislative Council um, Tuesday this this coming Tuesday is going to be a really special day for you. It will, yes. And when I was uh, first elected by the Keys to Legislative Council, I had a period of 24 hours where I was absolutely stunned. You know, that's the only way I could describe it. it, it um, I, I was stunned. And then I began to think about, um, yes, gosh, I'll be participating in, in Timbledown. I kind of thought it would be hugely overwhelming emotionally, but as I get nearer to it, that's... That's not the way I feel about it. You know, yeah, it'd be an enormous um, privilege. It'd be a humbling experience, I think. But, um, yes, it, it's extraordinary. But I've had a, a, a number of tickets to pass on to um, people on the grandstand. And, and I've had an awful lot of conversations about people who don't attend and the reasons why they don't. And, and that's been sort of um, uh, humbling, too. But um, oh, it'll be a, a, a tremendous day. You know, I hope the weather's fine because we did a, a walkthrough on Wednesday and, and you could see how exposed members would be um, and, and the public would be at that if it's a bad day. But it, it's tremendous excitement, e even down to what happens in the global village and this sense of the diversity of the Isle of Man. Um, tremendous experience. I was talking to somebody yesterday. He's been setting up the Wi-Fi so that all the stalls can take their money on on, uh, on cards, you know, using uh, machines and so on. And, and, and you can see how the whole thing moves forward, you know, each year it moves forward. And that's great. Which demonstrates how her identity is is changing, I suppose, in that we're we're all using cards now and not throwing money in buckets. Um, Chris Thomas, uh, honorary manxman, certainly. Um, you you've um, uh, well, well you, how, how, I'm not sure how long you've been on the island, but have you noticed any significant change in the time you've been here? Twenty one years and change to myself and change in the island as well. And I want to pick up on. Uh, on both of the aspects uh, that have been floated so far. So that in terms of identity, 
I was fascinated by understanding identity when I first arrived, and I actually enrolled on the Centre for Manx Studies course at the time, and it was so rich to think about identity and how it was likely to be multi-leveled for most people. You know, I'm a man, I'm a father, I'm a husband, but I'm also a little bit Manx now because this is where I live and I ref serve in the People's Parliament. I'm also British, but so are most Manx people when you think about it because of the fact we're in the Irish Sea. So I remember writing an essay about how technology is very unlikely to be different in the Isle of Man compared to in Cumbria or in, in Dublin or in Belfast or in North Wales because of the uh, of the travel. And that brings us on to the more practical thing, which is the second part of the um, approach I wanted to think about. And uh, whenever the Isle of Man has, has um, thought about greater autonomy or independence, you have to um, tackle Manxness and identity and... And, and the feelings about the island and who we are and who, who people are who come here and so on. But we also have to get very practical. And I noticed, um, even particularly in recent years while I've been here, that, um, and often it's to do with you know, talking to my own you know, children, there are very practical things that make you think about the island and its autonomy. So, for instance... Um, uh, QR codes, vaccination status, that really affected younger people because all of a sudden going to Leeds Festival wasn't as easy because the Isle of Man was outside the uh, NHS vaccination system and that's a practical thing that we've got to think about when we when we tackle um, identity and practical things and greater autonomy. Border control, um, there are people in the island who are passionate about the idea you can get on the ferry and shop in Liverpool One, go to a, a concert, go to a sports fixture without any any documents but, as, but the code COVID period showed us that it's possible for the island to end up with a border around it and so that's become something that we've all got to think about and whether we want a border or we don't want a border with Liverpool and um, and um, and with the other places around us and post-Brexit all of a sudden the Isle of Man has opportunities or risks in respect of participating in trade and other international agreements you know very practical things like do we want our driving license to be entirely manx or do we want it to be useful when we go to other places because it's recognized and we have to make uh, we have to make uh, trade-offs along those lines so essentially what i put in my in my own manifesto for the election it was it was now time for us to look again at the conclusions that were reached in november 2000 and um, the Constitution, Legal and Justice Committee, Legal Affairs and Justice Committee has taken up that challenge. And so far what they've got is they've got a published response from the Cabinet Office External Relations Team about where we are 21 years on from the, um, from the November 2000 consideration of independence. And I just would encourage you to reflect on that on your programme, not necessarily today, but in coming, um, coming months, because it would be great to have a reflection 21 years on about what all the changes that have happened actually mean for us, whether you know whether we come to the same conclusions now or whether we need to flex our autonomy, our possibilities for autonomy and international representation directly rather than indirectly. You're listening to Perspective with me, Phil Gorn, and I'm joined by guests Dr Simon Collister, Simon Madrill, Minister Chris Thomas and Paul Crane, MLC. Um, Chris, if I can just pick up um, on that point as well, because one of the other initiatives that I'm involved in is, um, is, is a new think tank called Reatus, um, which is really looking at kind of how we can build a, a more prosperous and powerful vision for the island. Um, and one of the things that we've been doing, actually, is reviewing the, the 2000 Timwald report that you just mentioned. And what's, what's fascinating is that um, it does mention Manxness or, or kind of the Manx identity. 
um, as potentially a really powerful um, indicator for the strength of feeling towards achieving greater autonomy. But what's also really interesting, it says, but there's no, re it's not been quantified and there's no real kind of tangible benefits of, of identity or maxness. So we're going to discount this from our review. Um, and I'm paraphrasing the, the, um, the report, but I found it fascinating because again, you know, we know from, we know from uh, say a place branding perspective that there are economic benefits in terms of kind of a distinct uh, brand and identity. We know from um, the literature on kind of economic development and political science that particularly small states that have a distinct um, identity have generally have um, better economic growth and um, because there tends to be um, greater resilience against external variables and headwinds which sometimes sweep through and affect small states more adversely than, than large states. Um, so there's a whole body of evidence that kind of points towards strong and kind of distinct identities are good for the economy, um, good for community resilience. And we did see that during COVID, the way that the community came together and, and supported one another, which was great. Um, and, you know, there was a there was a big play on the kind of on the, the manxness of, of the response and whichever way you throw me line. So that was great to see. So, you know, it's there, it's underlying. Um, and we know that it, there can be tangible benefits if you go and look for them and measure them. Um, so I think that was a bit of a missed, uh, a missed trick or, or a bit of a gap in that 2000 report and, and definitely something that should kind of be revisited. Yeah, Simon, I think um, obviously as a brand, a brand expert, do you not think that um, the island is, is, is missing out a lot in terms of all of the opportunities um, that it has in terms of food, wildlife, place, language, folklore? And, you know, to give you some examples, um, you know, everybody knows Manx kippers. You can only buy one sort of Manx kippers across. Um, but we lost the we lost Manx ices. Isle of Man made made I was one of the only two regions in the whole of the British Isles that made ice cream with cream and eggs. It's Cornwall and the Isle of Man, and then all of a sudden Hagendas came in, and 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 that opportunity was missed, and it's never really been recovered in terms of um you know and internally there's a lot of great stories um there's ones that sadly have failed like manx whiskey being taken to court um um for its colorlessness um but fantastic brands like Finodery. um yeah. but but if you look at manx kippers you look at locked and lamb i mean for god's sake I mean, one of the greatest yeah, I mean, one of the greatest lamb lambs you could you could eat in the world, and why is it not in in a dozen Michelin starred restaurants across I'm, and in France yeah, and else and elsewhere? Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot to say about that. I think I mean I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna not knock what what's being done because I don't want to you know uh, because there's a lot of great work that is being done. But I think you're right again. There are perhaps some opportunities that that we could do more with, and I think. For me, there's kind of, I think you're kind of covering two strands. One is about the kind of the brand, um, partly from a, a tourism and, and the kind of, you know, destination marketing perspective. Um, and I think I remember reading some of the, uh, the data from, from Visit last year that said that kind of awareness levels for UK holiday destinations, kind of the Isle of Man was towards the bottom of, of that. So there's definitely more that could be done in terms of awareness. And part of that is also about being distinctive. Uh, and how do you achieve a distinctiveness? Well, you have a very distinctive brand and you do lots of work with, with media. Um, and we've certainly got those stories, as you allude to. And to be fair, the, um, the extraordinary stories creative work is, is, is wonderful. Um, could it be perhaps 
could we do more with it? Well, yeah, we probably could. Um, we've just had kind of a period where the island's borders were closed, which is, is not been helpful at all. But I think certainly um, if we talk about differentiation and if you look at the Irish Sea Basin, as, as Paul's already alluded to, in terms of landscape, in terms of things to do, the you know, you look at Northern Ireland, you look at Wales, you look at Scotland, you look at Ireland, the, the, you know, there isn't a huge differentiation. So we can do more with that. But we can also play on distinctiveness, which does go into those stories that you just talked about. Um, and, you know, the Isle of Man has has stories and kind of that rich kind of tapestry of, of, of culture and heritage that, that other places share some parts of, but don't quite have what the, what the island has. I, and I think the, the other, I, I, the other I, I, side to that is, is the trade and, and, um, and investment yeah. side of it, which... Again, I think, you know, your point about locked and, locked and sheep, I saw a great um, piece of content being uh, put out by the Scottish government. One of their, I think, um, one of their business uh, bodies was all about this great story around um, somebody that was kind of uh, making woolen products on Shetland. Um, but it was just it was just straight up wool. And, and it was lovely, great website, great stories, great products. And I was thinking, like we've got we've got our own kind of distinct domestic breed of, of kind of ancient sheep like that we do do stuff with. Like, why am I seeing Shetland, but not the Isle of Man? So I think there's more we could do there in terms of international promotion, international engagement. I, I um, guess my specific my, my specific question, though, is if we think about products and, and this is for anyone on the panel is the, to what degree is the um, the lack of, of, of control that the Isle of Man has? I could tell you lots of stories about people that have tried to to get international trade for things like Lockton and the opportunities for Manx cheese. Okay, you can buy it in Canada and occasional at Morrison stores. But but you know, to what degree is the opportunity there for the for the Isle of Man to be able to to be able to free up trade in order to be able to take advantage of these products that absolutely are premium will will be, will attract a, a a premium price and could put and, and of course we'll have all these other benefits of people therefore creating a an interest for both investment and for visiting the island and so a, um chris thomas i mean you you've been you've been around a bit in in uh, tinwald any uh, have you have you seen anything in in tinwald in the man government that would help with uh, uh, using our, our, our national characteristics, cultural characteristics, to 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 benefit the island. You know, I think so. It has to be a strength, and it can be used as a strength. I, I hate to be Thomas-like and a, a slightly doubting, but the the issue that we have always is is the smallness and the insularity of the island in as much as we are an island so I, I another essay I say I wrote 20 years ago was uh, was I came to the conclusion that the Isle of Man was continentally insular because and we're also at the edge of the continent so it, it, it is great to imagine you know, those distinctive brilliant Manx characteristics being the, the basis of a huge brand but the reality is that we've got to pick and choose because we need to get inside trade agreements and we need to we need to get inside uh, um, marketing routes and we need to to, uh, to to do all the practical things. So I do think we need to uh, work together and focus. And that's where Culture Vanning comes in, for instance, because things about the uh, which I have the privilege to chair. Um, things about the general cultural identity and the, and the traditions and all of that. I think they've done pretty well now. I think that we have massive hits in terms of our videos, and then it comes down to working, you know, with 
the UK at the moment to make sure that um, the trade arrangements are put in place would allow the sorts of things that Simon's talked about and also that, we, that, that we're realistic. As somebody told me recently, red meat was much harder than you first think because, because you know, red meat's not exactly a, a, a growing uh, um, habit. It's actually a declining habit and there's already some massively established uh, uh, brands. So perhaps it wouldn't be quite as easy for Lockton Sheep or for, uh, or, for, or for a whiskey than you first think. You know, Being unique is not exactly all you need. You need much more than that. You need to take into account these situations. So there's, you know, we have to be very, very careful. And we, we heard reference um, earlier there to, to the Scottish government and, and the Shetland Islands. The Scottish government has, has dropped a nice little uh, grenade into the politics of the United Kingdom, which is already exciting, suggested that maybe it's time for a second independence referendum. I'm, I'm going to ask you as a minister uh, to speculate a bit on the what-if basis. What if, actually, uh, the Scottish people decide that, uh, that they've had enough with the United Kingdom and do decide they want to go for independence, assuming, of course, that the referendum can be uh, declared and uh, legal? What happens then in terms of the Isle of Man's relationship with the rest of the United Kingdom and Scotland? Has, has there been much consideration of that? I, I don't think there's been uh, much consideration uh, beyond the consideration that's been going on every year for f- for decades. I do think the constitutional investigation handled by the Timwell Committee will, 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 will grow into something else, and it's been started off in the right way by asking the government to reflect on what it concluded 20 years ago, and I think that's a significant piece of work because often government initiatives start as Timwell Committees. I'm Minister for Inf- of Infrastructure. I don't speak for External Relations Department and, and so on, but I will, I will go back because I used to be in um, Cabinet Office, although I wasn't Minister of Cabinet Office, and I did have privileged to chair some British Irish Council sessions and to participate in one other and that was up in Scotland and I do remember at the time I was so impressed that the Scottish Government got the original Treaty of Perth out for me open on the page which was the Isle of Man bit when the transaction took place and we did have some pretty high level discussions about And and, and effectively for those who don't know the the Treaty of Perth effectively that suggests that were Scotland to become an independent nation the uh, Treaty of Perth allowed the Isle of Man to be brought into the British Crown uh, establishment through Scotland. So potentially, that means we would be a Scottish Crown dependency as opposed to a, All right. uh, well, a I'll, British I'll, one. I'll leave, that, I'll leave that to a constitutional international um, lawyer types and, and relations. But what, but what I would say is I understood what was going on, which was that... Um, from a Scottish perspective, we have more autonomy than they do already, and we seem to have done a lot with the amount of autonomy. and And it was a it was a discussion. And then, the second point I wanted to make is that um, I would definitely be a target for a Scottish independence um, referendum as a as a voter. So Scottish identity has all has all been about including come-overs and stay-overs and stop-overs into the referendum referendum vote. So the, you know the work of um, identity formers and identity um, politics has been absolutely vital because you know it was realised by the SNP a great a great many decades ago that the only way to do it was to stress practical things of Scottish independence and to, and to build a consensus amongst all sorts of people in Scotland, not just not people who are already um, independence seekers in the 1960s, if you see what I mean. Paul Crane, building on, on Minister Thomas's uh, point, Chris Thomas's point, um, the, the, the Manx people are more likely to support greater autonomy for the island or independence or whatever you want to call it if if there's a clear case for, for that. Do you think um, 
people are, are, are even in the slightest bit interested at the moment with, uh, in relation to our constitutional relationship? Or is, is that the role of politicians to explain how changes in our constitutional relationship can actually potentially uh, bring certain benefits? So, for example, uh, helping people to, to manage with the cost of living crisis at the moment, things like this. I think people are interested and I think that sort of blows hot and cold and I think it blows in both directions. So for every person you hear saying the Isle of Man should be completely independent and going its own way, you hear someone else saying we should be a county of England, you know, which which really hurts when you hear it being said. And, but I think the, the discussion has, has reached some interesting points. It, it's a crucial time here. I have never been a fan of the Isle of Man separating out further. I've been happy enough, especially over these last 50 years, UK was in the um, European Union and the Isle of Man had a, a link with that. We had this customs union with the UK and, and uh, it seems to have served as well. Um, but some of these things have changed, haven't they? The idea of the Scottish independence vote. Um, Chris talked about them being um, perhaps behind us in terms of autonomy. In some ways, they, they will overtake us in terms of their autonomy. And one of the areas that I think about, I know it's come up before in, in, in your time in, in the Keys and, and uh, in Timwald, about the, um, the idea of the territorial sea and whether the Isle of Man should have access to um, an exclusive economic zone, which, if that applied, then the sea area that we have of about 4,000 square kilometres would, would increase by another 3,000 odd square kilometres. It would actually take in the... Morgan Wind Farm site, which is currently under consultation. So there's parts of the Irish Sea that are nearer to the Isle of Man than they are to the UK. We, we cannot at the moment have um, an economic zone to cover that because we're not a sovereign nation. And, and that raises the question of, um, OK, we're not a sovereign nation, but in our relationship with the United Kingdom, um, it, there was a decision that we wouldn't have access to this, you know, even though we're the nearest land to it. It raises an interesting question. Just to help the, the listener understand what the answer to that interesting question might be, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of uh, potential income for the Isle of Man were that territorial seabed actually uh, part of our territory rather than uh, the UK's. That's right. And then there was talk about trade agreements there, and the decision for the United Kingdom to, to have Brexit to leave the European Union um, has left us with, with um, far fewer trade agreements. The UK at the moment is, is trying to build free trade agreements. The Isle of Man, because we're not a sovereign state, we're not able to create our own free trade agreements, which comes back to some of the things that Simon was saying about Manx products and so on. Um, so every time there are trade agreements being made by the UK, the Isle of Man has to sort of fight its corner. There's a risk that it'll be forgotten or left out or, or, or that some particular interest in, in that trade agreement uh, would pass us by. So um, we, we've got that in there. And, and then we've got um, the, the modern Bill of Rights going through or being consulted on in the UK at the moment, which would take away the European Convention of Human Rights to the UK and presumably to us too, but we don't have a say in that. So although I'm committed to our links with the UK... I can certainly see reasons why we might want to explore where this goes. And the Scottish independence vote, if it comes off, I know it, there's a proposed date for October next year. It may not happen 
I would ordinarily have been a fan of two-thirds majority to make a constitutional change, but that's not the way it seems to run. If that were to lead to Scottish independence, I think it will have considerable impact on the way we perceive ourselves, and that's perhaps a crucial part to it. And Simon Madrill, um, do you think the, the white-knuckle ride, which is British politics at the moment, do you think that you know, all the instability and the, you know, the, the scandals and things that seem to surround British politics, is, is that likely to influence Manx people's thinking when, when they think about uh, greater uh, autonomy or, or even independence? Well, well one, would, one would hope so and one would think so. I mean, um, I alluded to it earlier, the, the sort of the irony of, of, of um, the original Scottish independence vote and the Brexit vote is that the, that the English argument against Scottish independence was the absolute opposite argument that they used for Brexit. And, and you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of, somehow for me, feel far too involved in, 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 a, in, in a belief that Boris Johnson should, should remain. But if they, if they fully embraced his, his rhetoric, then taking back control is exactly, or, or, or achieving greater control, as Chris, Chris would see it, um, should be the way. But I think there's a danger... Um, of the carpet and the floor coming f- from underneath our feet, as, as, as if I speak as a Manxman, um, because it isn't just Scottish independence. You know, there are many people in the um, in the UK and here that are concerned about that so-called ceremonial role that the Crown has. You know, and that's something we've not really talked about in terms of the real power that the Crown has. And it's becoming increasingly um, a voice that's going to be that's going to get louder and louder in the UK when the when the the Queen finally passes on, which won't be too far away from what they what they are saying. And you know, from that perspective, there is a strong belief with the with the constitutional experts in the across that Prince Charles is going to take a much more active role as King, interfering with the politics. And that therefore, you know, when you turn up on Tuesday, the, the ceremonial role that the governor has won't necessarily be the same, you know. And, um, you know, that's a, we may find that, that the role of the crown in the UK is going to, is, is going to and, and I would encourage that to be a, a, a real consideration in terms of the Isle of Man being on the, the front foot in, in in that regard because because it's it's equally about that fundamental principle of someone so-called not having control over what we do and you may have seen in the news last week um you know prince charles secretly changing a law to create a an exemption for a for a village that he owned you know and that that may be but the principle of that is that we do live under a monarchy and is that what what we want as a nation as a, and as a as a proud Manxman, even though I, I, I am living across, um, I would, for me, the Manx should be should be independent. I mean, to the you know to the degree that that um, do we really want to be um, painted with the brush of racism that that the that the English do? You talk about reputation. You talk about how people see you. Well, them across a. a, a, a have got the worst reputation in the world and the human rights and all and, and breaking the international law and all of those things. Do we want to be part of that? 
Do we want to sync with them? And and then I suppose then uh, Chris Thomas, um, we, we're talking about uh, taking back control. There's not an awful lot left for us to take back control of, is there? Uh, that, that's right. So the um, the post office has been an independent Isle of Man post office for 50 years now. We have our own uh, cultural organisation. That I just mentioned those two because they're two bodies I chair. Um, we. Uh, we, you know, we have financial autonomy. The UK basically lets us represent ourselves when we ask them to, and we can we we can have we we can be entrusted to to do lots of things. And that's the position of the external affairs of the Isle of Man government. That you know we we will look at these things and we'll make sure that we have the uh, the right amount of international representation and the right amount of autonomy that 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 suits us. Um, we had a fascinating um, session with uh, Professor Edge recently when he talked about. Um, a uh, social uh, social security negotiations in the 1950s. The Isle of Man was allowed to go and um, put in place its own social security administration laws. And for whatever reason, the Isle of Man was trying to do the same one for the north of the island, of the Republic of, of Ireland and the Republic of Ireland as well, which was a, a bit tricky. So in the end, you know, we walked away from it. Professor Edge told us the story of that. Um, the, re- the only reason I mention that is because, you know, the, the, the position of the Isle of Man government is that we can do what we want to, to do and it's our choice. And so therefore, I think it's important that we reflect uh, properly on whether what extra things we could have control of as part of getting greater autonomy and whether or not our scale and our, and our, our, our sense of identity and all of the practical things that we've begun to identify actually justify that or not. Because at the end of the day, there are people here who like the idea they can get on the steam packet and go to Liverpool with no checks as if they were here and there are people who you know who feel British as well as uh, Manx and there are I'd say more people who feel themselves monarchist rather than Republican on the Isle of Man so you've got you, we've, we've got to work it out for ourselves and at my age I'm of the view that ideology and identity is probably going to come out less importantly for most people than practical things like that but th- at the very least we ought to look at all of the practical things and see where we are in terms of those um, practical questions and, and again in terms of practicalities if in in essence the Isle of Man government chooses to allow uh, or, or to ask the United Kingdom to act on our behalf uh, in relation to, to foreign affairs and uh, yeah. um, travel matters you know, it, it's a it's a pragmatic decision on the part of the Manx government we can have we can you know it costs us lots of money to have Manx versions of the British passport. Um, you know we pay more and more for that as as international terrorism and international fraud has got greater. It costs us more and more per capita to to do that. But we think it's worthwhile. And that but but we need to ask the question from time to time. That could be part of the the argument why there are people who you know talk about counties. You know each time they get angry because they, they people they they waste half an hour because what is this. What is this passport? Well, have you got a choice about having what? a different passport? Because you're, you're, you're you have the in the Isle of Man. You can actually apply to Belfast or Liverpool to get a passport. You don't actually have to have a Manx passport. Most I, I've got a Manx, Manx British passport. Pretty much everybody here knows. But you can actually, if you're from the Isle of Man. If you were born in the Isle of Man and you've got Manx and your parents, well, that's were, gone your parents now, were born in the Isle of Man, you you can become a British citizen, can you? Well, no, no, that, that's things have things have changed. To some extent, with Protocol th- to Protocol Three, because obviously the rights that were stamped on your passport to do with the EU aspects of it. But what I'm, but what I'm saying is that you know, in actual fact, at the moment, if you lived here on the Isle of Man, if you wanted to, you could apply to one of the other passport offices and get a passport. Mm-hmm. People do that. It takes longer than it does to go here. But it's just, it's just a question that people have got to ask. I'm not, I'm, a, I'm not advocating any changes. But I'm, all I'm explaining is that the the cost of actually having a passport. 
with, with, with differences has got greater through time because of the fact that we now have you know, terrorists and fraud and identity theft and all of that is much greater. And it's like that with, you know, with everything to do with, with essentially, you know, the legal system is where it starts. We can't have our our own laws without our own parliament. Once you've got your own parliament, you've got your own... I mean, it's, it's chicken and egg, but that's... I hate the use of the word jurisdiction, but so much of the uh, the island's nature goes back to the fact that we make our own laws inside our own parliament and then we determine our own laws inside our own legal system. And that in itself is a fundamental part of our identity. So, you know, you talked about the TT before. The reason we could have the TT in 1904 was because we could vary our, our road traffic laws. Um, things. The reason we could do things in the 18th century was because we could vary our, our taxation procedures, and that's absolutely vital to to the island but now identity and business practices are very different from what they were in the um, in the 18th century because people do travel all over the place and you know there can be a resistance to small country uh, small countries having uh, having separate affairs as driving licenses change our driving licenses do look more and more different from a lot of other countries driving licenses and it might become harder for practical people to get hire a motorbike when they're on a Greek island because our, our driving license looks so different from all the other tourists who are there and the like and Paul Crane, I mean, you're a, a, a geographer at, at heart, and uh, so uh, the release of the two uh, census reports uh, in, in recent months uh, you know, must must have felt like Christmas come early for you, wasn't <laughs> it? Uh, have, have you had a, much of a chance to look through? Because uh, I suppose now you you have a, a day job as well that you have to have to worry about. But have you had a chance to to look through in terms of how people are identifying in terms of nationality on the island or? Yeah, the tables are in there, certainly, although it's interesting on the nationality table, the previous census had, uh, what, what it publishes in the census is um, groups of nationalities. So European residents in the Aleman, Europe, European nationals, were broken down into those who were EU nationals and outside EU. And of course, this year's census doesn't use the same pattern. It talks about northwest, east and so on. But the interesting patterns that do emerge there are that the um, percentage of people um, with Manx nationality or born in the Isle of Man is, is almost unchanged from 2016 despite the population changes that have gone on. I think the most remarkable thing I've found so far was that um, I saw some additional data I asked for some extra data as, 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 as I do analysis. I saw some extra data on the 6,700 people who moved to the Isle of Man between 2016 and 2021 and those 6,700 people were born on 134 different countries and that I thought was absolutely remarkable the degree of diversity that, that that's there in that absolutely remarkable and certainly uh, the that there's been a, a very significant increase I mean it's still a relatively small percentage but a very significant uh, increase in uh, black Asian and minority uh, representation that, that this uh, latest census Yes, I, um, it, you say it, 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 it's noticeable, but it is small in percentage terms. I think the in the 2011 census, so going back 10 years, the percentage of the population born in the Isle of Man, the UK, Republic of Ireland, Channel Islands and so on, was approximately 92.5%. And this time it's just under 90%. So it, it hasn't been a huge shift in that sense, you know, the... Um, for, in terms of birthplace, for over 49.5% of the population were born in the Isle of Man, and that's where it's been roughly throughout yeah. this century. And, and in terms of how people 
record themselves on the census. I think it's something like uh, 45% describe themselves as Manx and about 38% describe themselves as British, uh, which was uh, interesting in, in relation to this uh, discussion. Yes, that's right. Um, but the, the if this is the place of birth you're looking at, um, it, it will be clear that the 49% born in the Isle of Man were born here the, the next group were born in the UK and so they're the British group so 49, 38, yeah they're the approximate figures there. Well we are sadly running t- towards the end of our, our programme so I want a very sharp and, and, and snappy answer for, from each of you uh, sharp in the in the, the crisp sense of the world rather than the angry sense. Um, <laughs> start with uh, you, Simon Collister. Um, what uh, what do you think the chances are that the Isle of Man, well, I suppose the Isle of Man and Scotland in, in maybe a, a few years' time will both be independent nations? Oh, it's a really, it's a really good question. Um, and I'm going to have to say, without really kind of drawing on any of the, the, the evidence or the data or projections, it just feels that the territorial shape of the UK is is on uh, on a trajectory that is is going to change it dramatically. I think, I dare I say, it's inevitable. Chris Thomas, the t- the trend to greater autonomy will continue, but that doesn't mean that the Isle of Man won't choose to share things with other people. And Simon Madrill, yeah, I think the the relationship um, between the Queen and the rest of uh, the UK itself and Crown dependencies, etc., will significantly change in the next ten years, and the Isle of Man will will be part of that, whether it likes it or not. And hopefully, it will be on the front foot. And last word to Paul Crane. Um, I, I can't speak for Scotland on this, but from the Isle of Man's point of view, um, yes, I think there are areas that the Isle of Man would like to tweak going forward, but I think it's highly likely we'd stay within uh, the British fold, as it were. We live in turbulent times, so will the Isle of Man decide to rock the boat further for a potentially brighter future? Or are we better sticking with the current arrangement which has served us well in recent decades? Will the UK survive in its current form? For now, I'm Phil Gorn, Gurumayus and Geishagrum. Thanks for listening.